All right, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the life of Hannah. And and I just want to explore their family dynamics. It's one of the interesting things and amazing things about reality is that God is huge and he's made everything. And he's the Lord over all of time and creation. And yet most of his book is spent looking at the lives of regular people like you and me. Because the kingdom of God is expressed in regular lives. And what we think are important things, God often doesn't think are that important. And what we think are regular, mundane things, God often sees as the place where he is building his kingdom. And so we're going to be just looking at a family in worship in the Old Testament. And so I'd like to read this with you. There was a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servants and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give me, sorry, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was speaking to her. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have not drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her, and in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this, this life of Hannah. And Father, I thank you that her faith in you, and through her faith in you, you transformed the world permanently. And God, I pray that you would help me to be a true servant of the word this morning, and I pray you'd help each one of us here 
or hearing this message live or hearing this message later, that you would work in their minds and hearts in such a way that they would be impacted for good for all eternity. And Lord, that you would use regular people who to you are very important and that you would do great things for your name's sake in our day and age. And all God's people said, amen. All right. So what I hope to do, if I don't get too lost, is just to look at the life of Elkanah a little bit, and then Penina, and then Hannah, and we'll just look at their dynamics and how God uses them. And um, we can kind of even use them as mirrors for our own lives. For Jackie's birthday the other day, we found a nice spot by a graveyard to hang out and eat some fried chicken. And we just played a game of who do you see yourself in in, in some this, this show that we watch. Because it's a way of just looking at your life. It's like, okay, so if you were in, say, a, a movie like Avengers Endgame, which character would you be and why? And not who would you want to be, but who do you think you would be? And if your person you're talking to labels you as Thanos, you probably have some repenting to do. But, you know, it's just a way of kind of matching our life because in our life we always tend to see ourselves as the hero, right? We're either the hero who deserves all the praise or we're the hero who's victimized by the enemy and everyone else is the bad guy. But the truth is we're not always the hero. We're regular people and sometimes in the Lord we're doing okay and sometimes we're not doing okay. And one of the things the Old Testament does is it presents us with real lives in ways that we can go, oh, I... I'm a little bit too much like that person and not enough like this person. And I have some repenting to do in my walk with God. So let's start with Elkanah. Um, Elkanah is a man, and he's honored in Scripture with one of these things, with, with a long genealogy. Sometimes the Bible will stop and it'll pick a person and it will start to tell you their lineage back one generation, two generation, three generation. I think this one goes back four generations, right? Jehoham, Elihu, Tohu, Zeph. So he's the fifth person in the line mentioned, and that usually is a sign of honor in the Bible, that they want to place this person um, very specifically, and they want to give a genealogy. So if we're going to read this story well, we, we shouldn't just throw Elkanah under the bus because of his mistakes in here. God, God thinks he's worthy of some honor. And I think the reason that he is... Um, that we the details we get from here is that Elkanah is a consistent worshiper of the Lord. This is what we know about him. Every year he goes up to Shiloh to worship the Lord. And if you remember your Bible history, this event takes place during the time of the judges. This event takes place during the time of like Samson with all his craziness and, and times where in the book of Judges it says, you know, there was no king in the land and everyone was just doing what was right in their own eyes. So this was a time in Israel when there's lots of idolatry and there's lots of false worship. And here you have Elkanah, who is a consistent worshiper of the Lord. He goes from his hometown. Now, he doesn't worship the idols in his hometown. He goes from his hometown to the presence of God, to Shiloh, in order to fulfill his vows and to offer right sacrifices and he brings his whole family with him. And this is something praiseworthy. He's a consistent, true worshiper of the Lord. He's not cutting corners. He doesn't have an idol in his backyard as far as we know. He knows that the Lord is the true God and he's doing his best in one sense to worship him truly by coming to the presence of God at Shiloh. He's coming to the place where the real priesthood is. If you remember the end of Judges, there's all kinds of like false priesthoods arising in Israel at this time, and people who aren't Levites, who are, who are ministering in front of idols. But, but Elkanah wants to go to the place where the Ark of the Covenant is, 
and where the true priesthood of God is ministering. And so he travels to bring his family there. And this is a good thing. There is something to be said about a dad just bringing his family to church every Sunday to do true worship to the true God. There's something about just that faithfulness. Boom, boom. You know, we, we got to go worship the Lord. No, we got to go worship the Lord. And, you know, he's probably doing something at home too, but this is the presentation. What kind of man is Elkanah? With all his faults and failures, and we'll see some of them for sure, he was a consistent, lifelong worshiper of the true God, wanting to worship him in the way God wants to be worshipped and bringing people along with him. And you can even see this after um, Hannah gets pregnant by miracle and gives birth to the child. We didn't read it, but at the end of this chapter, once Hannah is raising Samuel up, and she's, she's made this promise to give Samuel back to the temple, and she keeps saying, I don't, I don't want to bring him yet. I don't want to bring him yet. Just, she's, she stops going up because she, doesn't, she knows when I go next time I need to hand him over. And he says, okay, whatever you want. You know, however long you think is right, but only let the Lord's word be fulfilled. And he's reminding his wife, hey, hey, God, God answered your prayers. So you need to make sure you fulfill your promise. He's got a faithful heart. He has a covenant keeping heart. Which is a big deal to the Lord. So even though we're going to want to throw Elkanah under the bus in a second here, let's not. Because he was a covenant keeping man. And this is really important to the Lord. All right. Well, let's throw all Ken under the bus. It's pretty clear that Scripture also wants us to see that he has some feet of clay and he has some failures. Now, I don't think, I don't know for sure if the failure is that he has two wives. And this is why. Um, scripture never says that having two wives is a sin. And it's good to, to notice that. And there are times when God really uses that. But we know it's not really God's best or his plan. Jesus made it really clear that uh, one man, one woman, one flesh, till death to us part, is the plan of God for marriage. But we know from the book of Genesis that sometimes when um, a wife was having persistent barrenness, the wife herself would initiate the husband having a second wife as a way for them to try to get kids. Sarah did that. Rachel did that, and even Leah did that, even though she had kids, and she stopped having kids, and she wanted to keep that whole baby wars thing going on in her family. She she gave her husband her his like fourth wife in order to get more kids. And so, uncomfortable as it is, as countercultural to us as it is, we don't know how he ended up in this place of having two wives. It may even have been at one time Hannah's idea. I'm not having kids. I would like kids. Here's a servant. Her kids will be my kids or something like that. We just don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But what we do know is that with this persistent rivalry between the two wives and the, the vexation and the, the sticking the knife and the twisting it thing that's going on towards Hannah, Elkanah doesn't really know how to, to address this problem. And when he finally, we finally kind of hear how he's attempting to address it with Hannah, he, I think, blows it by thinking that, by failing to actually lead his wife to the Lord. So here's Hannah, she's heartbroken again. It's been years of this stuff. And he doesn't, he says to her, you know, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? Why aren't you, why are you sad? 
He says, am I not more to you than ten sons? And that, that moment or that attitude, I don't know if it's just now or if it's ongoing, he totally misreads the problem and he misreads Hannah and he thinks that somehow it's about him. Hannah's, Hannah's inability to have a child and the rivalry between the two wives, he somehow thinks that he should be enough or something like this. And I think as the story goes, we should hear um, Elkanah missing it here. As faithful as he is with the Lord and worship sometimes, he doesn't get what's going on with his wife. And so in, you, you can just kind of imagine if instead of it said, Elkanah noticed that his wife was barren and so he committed himself to a month of fasting and prayer. That would be a different response, wouldn't it have been? Instead of saying, aren't I enough for you? Or if he said something like, sweetie, we really need to go to the Lord. Why don't we just bow our knees right now? Or, hey, why don't you go and pray about this? Instead, he sort of, it becomes personal for him. And because it becomes personal for him, this is a stumble. I think the scripture is pointing us to this being a stumble. Um, As much as he's doing, bringing his family to the, to the Lord physically and for temple worship, he drops the ball when it's time for him to bring his wife to the Lord about a problem she's going through. And that's not a good thing. Amen? Well, it's Mother's Day, so let's get to the mothers. Mother's Day is wonderful. I'm so grateful for my mom. I'm more grateful for my mom every year. Um, even though I, I don't, I'm not probably going to get to see her this summer, which is grievous to me, you know, looking back on my childhood, I actually see more things to be grateful for, for how it went as time goes on. I think as, as a parent, as you kind of see challenges as kids age and as time goes on, it, it can be an opportunity to see things that went well in your own childhood. And so that's my experience. I know that's not everyone's experience, but I see more things to be grateful for in my mom as the years go on. And, but just because it's Mother's Day doesn't mean that every mom is a great person. Amen? Can I just say that? (laughs) There's only a few people here, and I think I could take most of you, maybe not if you all ganged up. Um, Actually, I can't take any of them, but I can run fast. I've got that for me. And this is a big building with lots of exits, and that's also working in my favor here. Anyhow, um, Panina is the mom at the start of this story, but she is not doing well. And she does not come out as the hero. Even though if it were Mother's Day, she would be the one getting celebrated. She, she is not doing well. And all we know about Panina is that she has, she has the kids in the family. And she is a cruel person. And there must be some kind of jealousy going on here or something like that. Because the Bible calls them rivals. And we know that it was Panina's practice to be constantly poking at Hannah about the fact that she doesn't have any kids, which is a real inversion of what motherhood is. Um, By the grace of God, when God was creating the world, he decided that he would make a creature in his image called man, and that he would take man and he would make two kinds of man, one a male and the other a female, and one of them would be specifically enabled to do the childbearing, to produce the next generation. So when a couple gets pregnant, um, or when they might be thinking about having a kid, it's not like they decide whose who's turn it's going to be to be pregnant for nine months. It's not like, well, hon, I did the last two, and I'm up for a promotion. Do you want to take this one? Well, I don't know. With the stretch marks, you know, I don't even... And uh, 
God decided that one expression of his image bearer should get the gift of being the one that actually conceives the next generation inside themselves and then carries the next generation inside themselves and then gives birth to the next generation and their body is miraculously formed to produce food for the next generation so that they can get stronger and healthier. And I was thinking, even as I was preparing for this message, that it didn't have to be like this. You know, God has found lots of different ways for animals to procreate and make next generations um, I remember when I was a kid in in Vernon growing up, there was a salmon spawning river that went through our neighborhood, and so the school would take the kids to the salmon spawning river. They don't have those things around here as far as I know. And once every few years or something like that, the salmon would come all the way from the ocean up to where we lived, which was like a five-hour highway drive. But they would find rivers from the ocean and swim all the way up to where we lived and then they would they would produce the next generation and the ladies would shoot like thousands of eggs into little divots that they'd made in the riverbed and the man would like make a cloud that would inseminate all these eggs and then you know what they would do these salmon they would just die <laughs> right there, they would they would just like they'd make all these eggs and they'd fertilize all these eggs and then they'd be like Bleh! they would just die in the river and the rivers would stink because they were just filled up with all these salmon corpses and i was thinking what if god had um kind of missed it in the wisdom department and decided that we should be like that you know we like you'd have birchwood um you know wedding chapel slash uh maternity war slash funeral home all you know all these services in one place we now pronounce you man and wife that's where you can go have your babies and then you can we don't even have the like marriage bed we have the marriage coffins because you're toast you know as soon as you as soon as you have some kids it's over you know one night stand and then you're dead but without a gun involved you know and so it would just be such a different life and you know imagine ladies that you laid eggs <laughs> that'd be crazy imagine you like popped out five ostrich eggs in one go and you had to just sit on them for a week or something like that like can you imagine if it were different you know there's a lot to complain about how it is now i guess but can you imagine if it were different You're like you know this whole line of designer egg bags <laughs> ladies are carrying their eggs around with them wherever they go and don't oh, you cracked my egg you know just people fighting in the streets over you made me drop my egg and it would just be so terrible compared to how we are. But it could have been different. You ever think about that? There were all kinds of ways that work that are different than what we do. But God, the scripture is really clear. This is meant to be one of the greatest glories of, of a human being that God chose that, that one expression of his image bearers would be the moms. And from 1 Corinthians, as I understand it, it's meant to teach us that we need each other, but it's also meant to give us something to be grateful for because in the wisdom of God, every single living being has has had a person to say, without them, I wouldn't be here. And they call them moms. In the wisdom of God, every single one of us gets to say to another human being, I, I, I am not my own, I didn't make myself, I needed you, or else I wouldn't be here, I couldn't have been here. And it's God's way of making sure everyone gets to be humble and gets to be grateful for another human being. There isn't one person who can just say, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I... No, you don't exist without a mom. And that's, I think, 
part of the heart why Christians do Mother's Day is because we know in the wisdom of God, we need to praise him for the fact that he chose to give all of us life through a human being. And so we give the honor that is due to the human beings that did that for us. Because without them, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do anything. And God didn't just decide to let us be eggs in a river that kind of cracked and then <laughs> and our and mom had passed away before we were ever born, like the salmon. We have a person to give honor to in the name of the Lord. And that includes dads as well. But today is the day for honoring how God did that. Anyhow, so here's Panina. I'm talking about Panina. You think I'm off on a total rabbit trail. I'm not. Here's Panina, and she has that honor, and she has this gift. She's quite fertile. So she has the community honor of being a mom of sons and daughters, and she has the gift in the family of having born the next generation, and she is so ungrateful that she sees this gift that God has given her, and all she can do with it is use it as something to attack someone else about. Because even though Panina has the kids, Elkanah has a different and maybe more loving relationship with Hannah. Or maybe she's just jealous that she's not the first wife, that she's the second wife or something like this. And you, you might even be thinking, well, of course, Rob. Well, of course. Well, of course. But not of course. The scripture doesn't say, poor Penina. The scripture says, Penina was not grateful for the gift that God gave her because she found something to be bitter about. And I think every single Christian today can hear the word of the Lord saying, you are in danger and maybe have already fallen into the trap in the midst of all of the gifts that God has given you to find something to be bitter about. And, and God is merciful, but he's not going to be merciful about that. God does not have a ton of patience for blessed people finding something to be bitter about and then acting on that bitterness. Anybody want to say sorry now? I do. <laughs> you guys got to know, these messages are terrible for me. I always go, home, oh, yeah, oh, it's a, you got to stay low. You got to stay low. But we need to learn the lesson of Penina. Don't find something to be bitter about in the midst of your blessings, or you're going to go down in the, in the book of God as somebody who just blew it. And the scripture doesn't have anything nice to say about Penina. Well, let's talk about Hannah for a second here. One of the reasons why I was going on about Penina and and not having her blessing is because this story is really about a story of two different women who have heard a no from the Lord. If Panina could have been standing around saying, I wish I were number one, or I wish I were loved alone, but the Lord has said no to that reality being mine to possess. This is also the story of a woman who has had a no from the Lord when it comes to having children. And there's a couple of times in this story where it says these words. The Lord had closed her womb. Think about that. There's a couple of times in this story where it describes Hannah's barrenness, not just that she can't have a child, but that the Lord has closed her womb. 
And Hannah wants to have kids or have had a kid. We know this from the story. But up until this point in her life, the answer has been no. Panina obviously wants something that she's not getting. And in the sovereignty of God, the answer is no. And here is Hannah who wants something, even though she is a true worshiper of the Lord, even though she's coming year by year with her husband and offering right sacrifices, even though she's in a believing home, this desire of hers thus far has been a no from the Lord. And the question for her and for all of us is always going to be, what do we do with the nose of God? Because all of us are going to want something, sometimes not good things, but sometimes good things. And the answer will be from God himself, no. No, not now, sometimes, and maybe no, not ever. The question is, in our story of our lives, what do we do with the no's? And this, this, this moment in Hannah's life where she's not getting something that she wants, I think is meant to remind us of the first no in human history. All the way back in the garden. Where you had a man and a woman and a tree of no. In the midst of a garden of yes. And the Lord having said to Adam, you must surely eat. In Hebrew, it's this thing that's called like a infinitive absolute emphatic where he commands them. You guys have to eat of every tree in paradise except for this one. This is my no. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you here, it's paradise. It's, the weather's so great that on May 9th, you, you still don't have to wear any clothes. Where tonight was supposed to be negative seven tonight, where if you were dressed like Adam and Eve, you're dead. Welcome to Manitoba. We know there's reasons to be here. I haven't totally figured them out yet, but I know there's reasons to be here. They're in paradise with God walking in their midst, and there's no sin and no danger. The problem is that there is also a tree of no. You can't eat this. And how do they respond to that? Well, a snake came along and said, are you sure? Could be good. You can do it. No one can stop you. You'll get everything you want. You get to be just like God. You get to decide the yeses and nos in your life. And they went for it. And because they went for it, everybody dies now. Because they couldn't handle a no, we're in this weird worldwide pandemic. There, there, there would have been no such thing as pandemics if they had they accepted the no of God with grace and faith. There'd be no dying. There'd be no sickness. There'd be no none of this stuff. You'd be able to go home to your Mother's Day party without feeling guilty or like you have to do it secretly or without a rebellious heart against the government or whatever it is. They, they, they just couldn't handle one no. With faith. And so here is Hannah, this woman who carries around the know of God in her, in her body. And what's she going to do with it? And what, the, what the, the miracle of Hannah is, in one sense, where her character comes out and her faith comes out, is she doesn't go after Elkanah or Penina. She goes after the Lord. Am I right? Or am I right? 
Don't you think she could have? Don't you think she could have had a moment? Oh, Kana comes up. <laughs> baby, baby, what's wrong with you? You married to Stud Muffin. How could you have any problems? Hey, you think you're something? You could marry another woman. You could spend half your time in her bed. She'd give me the hard time all the time. She could have just gone crazy on this thing. And she don't even know she's jibba-jabbing me. She's sticking it to me. She's leaving all these cars. She's making my life a mess. And you don't do nothing about it. You've got to kick this woman out. I'm going to get him. Don't you think? Don't, don't you think she could have just gone off the wall and vented? You know, don't we love venting? The sin that nobody calls a sin. I wasn't sinning in anger and complaining. I was just venting. You know, like like a porta potty. Letting all the smells out. Like when your septic tank backs up. I was just venting. Hannah could have gone crazy. And most people would have been like, it's about time. Who could blame you? But instead, what does she do? She goes to the Lord. And she is so privately seeking the Lord that she's not even speaking while she's praying. Do you understand why that detail's in there? It partially explains why Eli thinks she's drunk. But she is taking her bitterness, well, her vexation, her hurt, her anxiety, her pain, and she is so just deciding to bring it just to God that she doesn't even want to be overheard. She's just mouthing the prayer so that no human being knows her heart in the Lord. Just bringing her pain to the Lord. Just just bringing her desires to the Lord. Just bringing it to the Lord. And, and the thing is, I see this over and over. And this is where I am being so challenged. Is here is a mom, a future mom, and a woman and a saint who knows how to walk with God. Like even though Elkanah is the one bringing his family to God and he's praised in scripture because of it, Hannah is the one who knows how to walk with God. And this person's not valuing me enough and this person attacks me every time we come to worship. Can you imagine coming to church and having someone at church who thought it was their job to make your worship time miserable? They sit behind you and they just sing all the wrong words and in between each line they're like, oh, praise the Lord. You're a terrible person. I hate you. Oh, praise the Lord. You're under God's curse because you can't have any kids. Oh, praise the Lord. Can you imagine if that were your annual experience? How you just want to... You might even say, number one, God, you don't, give me, you don't give me kids. Number two, God, every time I come to worship you, my enemy is there to vex me. I'm out of here. If this is what it's like to be a Christian. And I, I'd say that because we have so many people who we feel sorry for when they say, I, so much pain, I'm walking away from God. So much trouble, I'm walking away from Jesus. It's not anything scripture ever sympathizes with when someone walks away with God because they feel hurt. It's not something the Lord ever feels sorry for somebody about. That unbelief was in there before the pain came. 
That selfishness, that pride was in there before somebody didn't get what they want. That's a panina heart. I'm not getting all that I want, so I will sabotage the worship of God. But Hannah's like, I am in the midst of getting nothing I truly desire. I need to go and walk with God. Even though the scriptures say that God is the reason I'm not getting what I want. What? Think about that. Who would do this? If God, if a prophet came to you and said, you know your greatest desire, the Lord says no. How many of you would run to the presence of God to kneel before him? Ah! It's, it's the my moment. It's our moment time. I see in the heart of Hannah somebody I don't recognize in myself. If the Lord showed up to me and said, the greatest desires of your life, the answer is no. Thus saith the Lord. Would I run to God? To plead, to pray, to unburden myself. Whew. Hannah, I, I, I would like, I'm going to meet this woman. And if it's okay to bow before someone in heaven, I will bow down to her faith in life. She's, she is a Giborah Hayila. She is a mighty woman of valor to be in this situation and to turn to the Lord. Listen to her humility. Verse 11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the afflictions of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, and I will give your servant son, and I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. When she comes to God, she sees herself as the servant of the Lord. She sees herself as someone that the Lord actually has the right to say no to. But that she as a servant has the opportunity to ask for a reconsideration. And her, in, in one sense, because of her brokenness and because of the humility and because she sees that she, she doesn't have a choice in this, she can only get mercy in this, her motherhood is birthed in in selflessness. She says, Lord, if you just give me one child, I, he will be yours all of his life. And no razor will come on his head. And if you're not familiar with that, what that means is she said, she says, he will be under the Nazarite vow from his birth. He won't have his head shaved. He won't be drinking wine. He'll be especially devoted to God from the womb by my covenant with you, God, by this vow. So her first child, her whole motherhood is birthed into, it's not mine. It's not mine to hold. It's not mine to own. It's not mine to possess. It's not mine to to get myself worth out of. It's not mine to try to fulfill my my how I change the world through. It's not mine. It's not. It's not mine. He's not mine. He's not going to be mine. He's going to be yours, Lord. This is all yours. I'm yours. He's yours. It's yours. You invented motherhood, and you invented me, and you invented children. It's all yours. And her humility, she's so humble before the Lord here that even when Eli, the high priest, uh, thinks that she's drunk, she doesn't get offended. You know what I mean? She's just like, no, 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 you don't understand. I, I'm just really broken. And then he says, Eli says, 
oh, 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 you're praying. Okay, well, may the God of Israel answer your prayer. And she's, she accepts it. Okay, good, I'll go. And it gives you a little insight into how bad things were in Israel at that time that the high priest isn't surprised by the idea of somebody showing up drunk to the temple. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's a sign of how bad things are. If, we, if you come to church, you're like, oh, yeah, everyone's drunk again. It's just normal. That's bad. That's not good. And, and Hannah is just surrounded by all these people who don't get it. But it's not slowing her down. And the Lord rewards her for her faith with exactly what she asks for. So we should probably worship in a second here, but this Mother's Day, I want to encourage all of us. Um, I know that motherhood is different for everybody, whether you're experiencing it or possessing it. And it's always changing, whether you're a wannabe mom or a young mom or a mom of teens or an empty nester mom or a mom later on in life who has kids taking care of them. Um, Whether you had a mom that exemplified godliness or if you had a mom that seemed like the opposite of that. This Mother's Day, I want us to make a part of our worship just the honoring of God for how he invented the world. And to, in the Lord's presence, as much as possible, find something to honor God about and to worship. See beyond the people, like Hannah did. Just see beyond the people and bring your heart to God. And give thanks where thanks is due and give honor where honor is due. And then I want us to see in Hannah this this mother's heart. This heart of taking the brokenness of life and not letting it be the cause of bitterness, but instead being the cause of selfless service to God. We're all not getting what we want today. God be glorified. Lord, you know our desires, but Father, maybe sometimes we don't get our desires because you know we'll take what you give us and we'll run away from you with it or we'll become selfish with it or we'll use it to fight with people. God, would you, if that's us, if if there's any good thing you're you're holding back from us. If we have a no from God because we would not worship you with it, God, would you change your hearts so that we can walk with you like Hannah who had a no from the Lord until the moment she said, this won't be about me. And then you said, now it's a yes. So God, would you do that for all of us? Would, would Hannah's spirit be, be the motherhood of our church and that we would all be people saying, Give us the yeses that will be true worship to you, Father. And would you bless us all with a strong walk of faith this year. In the Lord's mighty name, amen.